0: We are live. It is a Thursday edition of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. I'm actually live on a Thursday. Uh, Normally record these at least a day before uh, publishing, but due to some scheduling uh, circumstances, had to record actually on Thursday morning here. So it's coming out to you a little later than I normally um, do. Like I said, normally I, I record on Wednesday. That way, first thing in the morning on Thursday, it's out, uh, and you can listen to it on the way to work or something like that. So if you're hearing this now, I apologize if it's part of your normal Thursday morning commute. uh, I do apologize for being a little late here today, but uh, maybe you can do it on your way home if you're walking the dog later today, uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, We actually have a, uh, a new standing room dog, Standing Room Pooch. Uh, Luna has joined the Parker household here I got a new dog this week so she's been a little bit of a handful for me but uh, again we'll we'll make sure we get this thing out on time for you no problems uh, the rest of the way here but today um, like I said the last couple weeks we were really dialing this thing into the the preview into the season and today I want to talk about two different situations here and what might lead to them. So the predictions are coming up. Uh, we'll, we'll come around the corner here. Uh, the, the Monday of the game week, uh, of the first Rutgers game. Um, we're going to go through Scott and I, the, the whole predictions, what we think is going to happen through this, uh, 2020 MSU season, the big 10 season. Um, we'll, we'll get to all of that, but I, I kind of was looking at two different scenarios here. You know, Mel Tucker and this staff find a way, th- this team finds a way to go above 500, to go five and three, have a great year in the first year of this coaching staff. On the other side of it, uh, we go under 500, we go three and five, we go, uh, you know, two and six, whatever the case may be, um, whether we want to include or, or not include that uh, final ninth game of that championship week against against a Purdue, against a Nebraska, against somebody in that tier um, is kind of where I'm projecting us right now. But again, that could vary, depend on if we do win one game for the first eight, if we do win five games through the first eight, that might change. But um, let's let's get into it here. So basically, I have three kind of maybe not underrated or off the radar storylines or reasons, but. I got three reasons that MSU would go above 500, and three reasons they would go below 500. Uh, and we're going to disclude the quarterback situation because that's the most obvious. That's the one where we all know. Hey, if if we find a quarterback, quarterback plays well, we can go out there and win some ball games. If we can't find a quarterback, the position's a mess all year. But we're not going to win much, many games this year. And I think that goes without saying. That that doesn't really need to be expanded upon here today. So I got really six storylines that we're going to be following here this year. We'll start with three reasons that MSU goes above 500 and we'll finish off with three reasons they might go below 500. And we'll jump in here. Three reasons MSU goes above 500 here in 2020. The first one would be offensive line health or cohesion or however you want to put that. Now, they've uh there's there's been some stories coming out of camp here or camp practice whatever you want to call it that the offensive line has been doing a lot more kind of injury prevention work a lot more stretching a lot more flexibility training uh, things like that to to really try to work on those soft tissues to really try to work on those knees and make sure that this group can stay healthy because look last season in 2019 uh, the top seven Michigan State offensive linemen missed a combined 42 games. Uh, between 11 players, there was seven different starting combinations. Uh, 2018, it was the same deal, right? Nine different starting combinations across that offensive line. And if we're looking for a team to go out there and go five and three, to to go out there and, um, you know, even if it's five and four w- with that fin- final game. This this offensive line is going to need to stay intact. This offensive line is going to need to play well. It's going to be a little bit of a new scheme here with Jay Johnson coming in. A little bit more zone blocking in the run game, and they're going to have to to figure that out together as a unit. You know that offensive line units the the probably biggest most important group on the team to be playing together with the offensive line with the defensive backs. Those are the two most important groups where. You and your unit, you have to be on the same page or else bad things are going to happen. So this offensive line, being able to stay healthy, stay out on the field and work together is going to be super, super important. Now, we're looking at this right tackle spot, right? uh, Jordan Reed, excuse me, um, has opted out. It doesn't look like he's going to be returning. So there's an open spot there. He's been the only stable presence on that offensive line the last couple of years you know he's started the last you know 26 games i think it is and he's been the one consistent guy in there and and so you can say what you want about maybe his skill level about his ability on the field but at the end of the day just having him in there has been such a huge reason that there's been any success on that offensive line so we're missing that and we're we're gonna figure out how to replace him on that right tackle spot. There was some uh, reports out here. I know Corey Robinson mentioned that Spencer Brown might be uh, the leader in the clubhouse to take over that right tackle role, and I, I think that would be um, a, re- a really big step up for him. Look, he red redshirted last year, but this kid with just unbelievable athletic ability. He he came into high school at like 180 pounds or something. I mean, he was playing like wide receiver and tight end. He played basketball. He's one of those kind of just athletes on the offensive tackle position. And I think he's got a huge ceiling. I think his potential is basically unlimited. And and if he's really showing the next steps here in camp, um that, that could be a really exciting development at Spencer Brown taking over that right tackle spot. But you know, AJR Curie, JD DuPlain, Matt Allen, Kevin Jarvis these guys have got to stay healthy they got to stay together and they got to figure out a way to protect whatever quarterbacks in there open up some holes for Eli Collins in this running game and just really if if this team does go above 500 that's going to be the number one reason why in my opinion outside of the quarterback position is that this offensive line figured out a way to stay together stay on the field build some chemistry and really work together to help this team so we'll move over to the defensive side here. I want to give this the second reason that we go above five hundred is that we find an effective pass rush. Look, uh, Michigan State the last handful of years, really going back quite a long time since Narduzzi came into town, is this pass rush has been mean. We, we you know when we when we blitz, we get home when, when we're rushing with four, we got guys that can get to the quarterback. Last season there was forty sacks. We're missing. Most of them uh, returning players uh, combined for 16 and a half of those 40 sacks last year. So we're missing well over 50% of that sack production. Obviously, Kenny Willekes our two defensive tackles in there. Panishuk and, and Williams are gone. You had uh, just losing so much production just from Kenny Willekes alone over the last couple of years. So where's that going to come from? You know, 40 sacks last year. You look at the great teams under D'Antonio uh 2015 36 sacks 2014 44 sacks um you, we're going to need to find that guy and, and whether it's Jacob Panishook coming around the edge we've had Shalique Calhoun we've had Kenny Williams we we've had a guy to go out there and command the attention of that offensive line and and really keep the eyes of the quarterback on him and and worried about him hey, who's going to be that guy this year is it going to be Jacob Panishook is it going to be Michael Fletcher that takes a big step up? I know uh, some of the coaches have have mentioned his name. Scotty Hazleton mentioned his name as you know somebody who's who's impressed him a little bit here in practice. Is it going to be Drew Beasley with a breakout year? I don't know, uh, but we're going to need to find a pass rush from somewhere. Whether that comes from blitzing, whether that comes from you know a four down lineman type of thing, I I, I really have no idea, but. We're going to need to find somebody because, again, we're we're losing out on over, well over 50% of our sacks from last season, and we're going to have to replace it somehow. So uh, this year, it's going to be super important. We're going to need to get after these quarterbacks, man. Um, there's some good ones around the conference that we're going to be playing. Uh, Penn State, Sean Clifford's a good player. Obviously, we know Justin Fields at Ohio State. Um, there's talks about Joe Milton being the next Cam Newton over there in Ann Arbor. Uh, but there's just a lot of good quarterbacks. Michael Penix in Indiana is a great player. Uh, Ramsey, coming in from Indiana, he's going to Northwestern. He's a good quarterback, so we're, we're going to need to find a way to get these guys off their rhythm, and a good pass rush is obviously a big key to that. So who's going to be that next pass rusher that steps up, makes plays for this defense, makes life a little bit easier for these um, kind of inexperienced cornerbacks um, and makes our passing uh, defense a little bit more stout. Uh, we're going to need to really figure that out. So if if this team does go above 500, I think that's going to be a huge reason why, is we found some pass rushers. We found an ability to, you know, whether that's just good players making plays with four down linemen or whether that's, you know, Scotty Hazleton dialing up some blitzes uh, and uh, Antoine Simmons and Noah Harvey and some of these guys getting home. Uh, we're going to need to figure that out pretty quickly here. Last reason we go above 500 here is Trey Person taking the next step. Now, look, Scott and I have talked about this a couple times. His role is going to be really important in this defense. It's a cover three defense primarily. Uh, that's what Scotty Hazleton has run his entire career. I would be shocked if we ran anything differently. And Trey Person being that free safety that's roaming the middle of the field, that that's controlling those deep passes, that's going to be critical to this team's success. And look, he came in as a freshman, played in six games. You know, he got burned the red shirt, played mostly special teams that year. Uh, sophomore year, came in at cornerback, played 261 snaps, had a couple pass breakups, 18 tackles, a sack. Um, but again, at cornerback, started uh, four games that year. Last year, switches over to safety, played 206 snaps, didn't start any games, but uh, 10 tackles, three pass breakups. And now he's being thrust into that starting role, that safety, a position he's only played for one season. And again, that role is super important to, to really be controlling the middle of the field, to be able to get over to the sideline. If somebody's running a nine route, somebody's running a go down the sideline, you got to be able to read that quarterback and get over the top and make a play on that ball. So Trey Person's going to be really important to this defense and, and him taking the next step, you know, maybe being an in, in honorable mention, third team, all big 10 type player that would really catapult this defense into um, a really strong level because I believe these cornerbacks can be really good. I, I know Xavier Henderson's really good. And if he can kind of complete that puzzle in the defensive backfield, that's going to be really important because I don't really know what we have behind him either. You know, Michael Dowell's there. He's, he's played a lot last year. Um, we've seen him rotate in from time to time, but you're just not really sure with him. Um, Dominique Long, mostly a special teams guy. I mean, I, I don't really know what we have behind Trey Person in that free safety spot. Uh, Darius Snow, the freshman coming in, I think he can be a really good player, but I, I don't think that's his role. I think he's more of the Xavier Henderson you know, playing in the box, playing that nickel kind of uh, position where you're you're really playing the run game. You're playing shallow crossing routes and stuff like that. I, I really don't think Darius Snow the type of player that's going to be coming over the top as a, as a roaming free safety, single high safety, and making plays in that way. So Trey Persons is going to be really valuable to this defense, and I think that his role is going to be really critical and. and if he performs at a level that I think he is capable of, um, but if he really takes that next step in his game, that that's gonna be really important for this defense. You know, we talk about the pass rush, but man, if we can sure up that defensive backfield and Trey Persons gonna be a big part of that, um, that's that's gonna be huge for this team. So that's three reasons that MSU would go above 500. right? The offensive line is healthy, they they play together and they play well. Pass rush, we we find something there again. We're we're losing Kenny Willickis. We're losing both of our defensive tackles, who are who are going to be the guys who step up. And Trey Person takes that next step at free safety. Uh, David Dowell struggled the last couple of years in coverage. Um, Just in my opinion, wasn't really athletic enough to to keep up with some of these guys. Trey Person, a former corner, he's got the speed, and we'll see if he can uh, get the instincts of the position down and start making some plays this year. Now, three reasons that MSU goes below 500. We'll we'll flip to the pessimistic side of this. And we can look at some of these either way, right? You can flip the the first argument about the offensive line. You could say, well, if they're not healthy, if they're not a cohesive unit, if they don't figure out this new scheme, well, we probably won't go above 500. If we don't get a pass rush, that's going to be one of the reasons that we we don't go above 500 as well. And, and if Trey Person struggles, then maybe that's another one we could throw on there, too. So you could reverse all these as well. But, you know, kind of the six main storylines outside of the quarterback that I'm I'm really going to keep my eye on because I think they're really interesting and, and really critical for the success of this team. So three reasons MSU might go below 500. Uh, number one is is. We just can't find a go-to wide receiver option for for some of these clutch situations. I mean, look, we've been uh, looking at Michigan State the last few years, and it feels like we've always had that one guy that that one guy that you know you can count on on third down. You're the ball's going to him if he's lined up one-on-one on a co- on a corner. You're throwing him a jump ball, and and you can trust that he's going to come down with it. And during that great run under D'Antonio 2000, you know, we, Benny Fowler had a great years. Uh, BJ Cunningham had one great year. Aaron Burbridge had one great year. Uh, Tony Lippett had one great year. The last couple of years, I don't really know if it was necessarily one guy, you know, it was, it, it was a little bit of, uh, Daryl Stewart. It was a little bit of Cody White, uh, but as much as I like this wide receiver group, and I think there's a lot of potential, I think there's a lot of exciting young players. There's also just, let's face it, not a whole lot of, of proven commodities at that position. Um, you know, we go back to like Felton Davis. You just, you count on some of these guys on third down, you know, they're going to be available. You know, they're going to be open and you know, the quarterback's going to be able to find them. But When you look last year, obviously we're losing our our top two receivers from last year in Cody White and Daryl Stewart, but it goes past that. You know, we had uh, basically just over 3,100 passing yards on the year last year. We're returning only 33% of those receiving yards, and that includes Julian Barnett, and you include Julian Barnett, we're we're missing four of our top five receivers from last year. Cody White, gone. Daryl Stewart, gone. Julian Barnett defense, Matt Seibert gone. Uh, you know, and then you can get down to to Trey Mosley at four, Matt Dotson at six, Trenton Gillison, CJ Hayes, Jalen Naylor. But you're losing those clutch receivers. You're losing a guy in Cody White with 66 catches last year, Daryl Stewart with 50 catches last year. Uh, and and both of them played at a high level in, in 2018 as well, you know, 50 catches, 40 catches. So that's going to be such a key to this team. And, and one of the reasons that, you know, if, if we end up going two and six, we end up going three and five and we're looking back at the end of this year, like, you know, man, what happened? That could be a big key is it was, we're just, Hey, there's a lot of talent, but we just weren't able to find that one go-to guy that, that Rocky Lombardi, that Peyton Thorne, that Theo Day can go to on third and five, that can go to in the red zone and, and know that they're available and they can make a play. Uh, again, I, I really do think this group is great, and they have a lot of potential. Jaden Reed coming over from Western Michigan, he's a guy with production under his belt, but it didn't happen in Michigan State. It didn't happen in the Big Ten. And as much as i I'm been a big proponent of him and been a big proponent of saying, look, this kid dominated the Mac as a true freshman stepped in right away to that number one receiving role dominated he put up over 100 yards against Syracuse the one power five team they played the whole year I'm confident that he can step in but look again we haven't seen it and that just makes me a little bit nervous and so what are we going to do this year are we going to turn to one of these guys is it going to be more of a group effort not really sure, but but again, we look at these last few years of of Burbridge, of Lipid, of of Davis, of Cunningham, and just having that one guy we can really count on that we can really rely on third and five clutch situations. And if we can't find that guy this year, that that might be one of those reasons we look back and say, ah, well that was a pretty rough season and what what happened we just couldn't find that number one guy so i think that's going to be if if we look back going under 500 that might be a really crucial reason as to to why we didn't get that 500 record now on the other side of the ball is who's going to cover the other receivers right you know this cornerback group um is going to be really crucial as well and again in the in the context of we we were looking back season's over we we went one and seven two and eight uh, or one and seven two and six three and five whatever the case may be and we're saying man what happened why why did we drop some of these games um this cornerback group is not very experienced uh josiah scott has been a, kind of a staple there he's had some injuries but he, he's been a guy we've really relied on. He's playing pretty well, actually, for the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL right now. He's, a I think, a fifth-round draft pick, um, and, and he's gone. Josh Butler, as many times as he got beat, as many times as he had defensive pass interference penalties, he was experienced, and, and that that counts for something, right? Uh, when we're looking into this year, I think the two starting guys are are most likely going to be Julian Barnett and Kalon Gervin. The way that coaching staff has talked, the talent that those two guys have, I'm kind of reading the tea leaves here and saying those are going to be the two guys. And between the two, there's one career start on at corner. Shakur Brown's going to be in the mix as well. He got five starts last season, but you're just looking around this group. Davion Williams and Chris Jackson are probably the you know the two kind of primary backups. They have a combined thirty three snaps the last couple of years. So you know again, I, I like the talent, and I think these guys can be great. But when we're looking back, if if we do go under five hundred, we're saying what what went wrong. Maybe these cornerbacks just aren't ready for that number one, number two role, and and maybe they get beat a couple times down the field. Maybe they get grabby and a little too physical, and you know they end up giving up a lot of pass interference penalties and, and allowing the offense a free 15 yards, a free first down. But again, there's just not a lot of experience, and that has to make you nervous as much as we like the talent. The inexperience always, always has to keep. You have to keep an eye on it because it's just something where you have to prove yourself in this conference, man. Big Ten is is right up there with the SEC, and I know that sounds nuts, but we see it time and time again. Bowl game last year, Minnesota went down and beat Auburn's ass up and down the field. I mean, of course, Ohio State and Alabama. You know, you can argue that they're kind of on that upper tier. And, oh, well, the rest of the SEC is just so much better than any other conference. I really don't believe that. I think that they are the best conference in the country, but I don't think it's leaps and bounds like people really think. You know, Penn State could go down there and play with a lot of those teams. Um, Michigan, any given year, could go down there and and beat the fourth, fifth best team in the conference. Wisconsin, you can say all you want about the lack of talent. They've gone down there in in Outback Bulls and Capital One Bulls and beat up on SEC teams uh, many times. Uh, I remember watching them. There was an LSU team, you know, before before uh, Joe Burrow and and this high flying LSU offense. You know, they kind of had that same play style, and everybody said, "Hey, look, LSU, Wisconsin, they're they're both these you know ground and pound teams, stop the run." control the line of scrimmage, and and LSU just has the better athletes. Wisconsin went down there and just whooped their ass. So I, I really do believe that the Big Ten is can stand toe-to-toe with a lot of these teams. And if you're not ready, man, you're going to get exposed. And you look around at some of these receivers and, and thank God we're not going to be playing some of them. You know, Rashad Bateman, uh, Rondale Moore. But there's a lot of guys that we are going to be playing. Man, Chris Alave at Ohio State. You got um, uh, Wap Fillier at Indiana. You got uh, a lot of these players that are really dynamic. And when you line up somebody like that against an inexperienced cornerback, there's a chance they can take you deep, there's a chance they can beat you one on one. And that that just makes you a little nervous, right? I'm not saying sound the alarms. I really do think this cornerback group has really special potential. Um, Julian Barnett and Kalon Gervin were both really highly rated recruits. I think they were both like top one or two players in Michigan in their class. So I, I'm not too worried about this. But again, in the context of this argument, that could be a reason that this team, you know, fails to achieve their goals at the end of this season. And I would love to see a little bit more experience coming back, but again, I I, I do like these guys. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I'm I'm too worried about this. But in the in this context, I I think that's something that that we're gonna have to keep an eye on throughout this season. Now, the last thing that we'll talk about, you know, the the last reason that hey team finished under 500, what happened is that this new running scheme just just doesn't really click. We're not really Getting the ground yards that we're looking for. Um again, it's going to be a little bit more of a zone blocking running scheme. Think about what Kyle Shanahan's doing in in San Francisco. Um, it it simplifies things for the offensive line. It, it makes it really a little bit more reliant on the running backs to just find the holes and hit them. Um, you're you're looking for these one cut kind of running backs who you're just looking to find a hole and hit it for five, seven yards, whatever the case may be. But um, the offensive line, you're you're blocking an area. You're not blocking a guy, uh, right? So whether that means there's nobody in front of you and you're getting up to the second level on a linebacker or there's somebody in your face, you're blocking that guy, right? It, it makes it a little bit more simple. And it's a running scheme I like, and I think Eli Collins fits really well because I think he's got great vision. And I do like simplifying things for this offensive line as much as we can. Um, but if... if it just doesn't work for some reason, you know, the, the lack of practices and the lack of um, on the field practice, ha- having an impact on, on guys timing and, and just, it, there's a whole lot of reasons it could go wrong, right? Last season, Eli Collins ran for four and a half yards of carry behind him. The running backs, Connor Hayward, 3.3, Anthony Williams, 3.1, Brandon Wright, 2.7. That that's not getting the job done. That is not going to win you games in the Big Ten. You go back to when we were rolling. Again, 2015, uh, Gerald Holmes, 4.9. LJ Scott, 4.8. Uh, Madre London, 4.2. All over four yards a carry. 2014, the year before with that really great offense, Delton Williams, 5.9 yards a carry. Nick Hill, 5.8 yards a carry. Jeremy Langford, the leader of the group, 5.5 yards a carry. So when we're looking at the, the big periods of success under michigan state it wasn't you're i'm not looking at total rushing yards here i don't care about that i'm looking at yards per carry and when we were great excuse the sound when we were great it was well over four yards a carry for any of the running backs that got in there i don't care if it was the starter or the third string guy they were getting in there they were getting production and making plays and last year that just wasn't the case again eli collins for as great a year as he had he had four and a half yards of carry that would have been last on the team in 2014. He, that's a full yard behind Jeremy Langford. What what he put out there? That's a half a yard behind Gerald Holmes in 2015. It's just not getting the job done, especially when you look at the backups coming in and barely getting three yards a carry. So that's going to be really crucial. You know, if, again, we're we're looking back at the end of this year. What happened, man? I just couldn't establish that running game and, and couldn't figure things out with this new scheme and, and guys were, we're still running for barely four yards to carry three and a half yards to carry, just unable to really get ahead of the sticks, right? Cause it's so crucial. And, and I hate the, the idea that, you know, Hey, first and 10, we're running the ball first and 10, we're running the ball. It just gets way too predictable. And, and that was one of the things we hated so much towards the end of D'Antonio's t- tenure. But look, when, when you are running the ball on first down, which is what you're doing a lot of the time, you want to get ahead of these sticks, man. You you can't get into a position where you're playing second and nine, second and eight. You want to be running second and five, second and four. That makes your life so much easier as an offensive play caller, as a quarterback, as an offense in general, right? When, when you're lining up there at second and four, you have a lot more room for error on those next two plays. You can take a shot down the field. You can do anything you want knowing that, you know, hey, we got two chances at four yards here. You know, we, we can really open up the playbook. But when you go out there on first down, run the ball for one yard, get stuffed to the line of scrimmage, and now you're at second and nine, second and eight, that puts you behind schedule. That that makes it a lot more difficult for you to really get the game plan in that you want to really make the play calls that you want to make. So that could be a big reason as well that that we're going under. Um, so, again, those, I just wanted to make sure we kind of followed six of these storylines outside of the quarterback, right? And again, you could flip these any way you want, but that was kind of the way I structured it. So, three reasons we go above five hundred: offensive line stays healthy, stays together, and plays well. We find another pass rush this year with with a lot of the pass rushing production gone. Uh, we we find a couple guys that can get after the quarterback at the same level that we've been doing the last few years, um, and, and then Trey Person takes that next step into that free safety role and, and becomes a hell of a playmaker. Three reasons we might go under 500. We can't find that go-to number one clutch situation, third down wide receiver, the guy who you can count on to make a play when you need one. Uh, the inexperienced cornerback group, you know, kind of shows it's inexperience and gives up a lot of big plays or gives up a lot of penalties and just can't shut down number one wide receivers. Um, the inexperience bites us in the ass there. Uh, number three is that the the running game just doesn't improve, maybe even takes a step back under this new scheme with Jay Johnson. Uh, and we just can't get over that four and a half, five yards of carry that we're really looking for. Now. Before we wrap up here, since we're talking about kind of underrated storylines, I just want to give you a couple. And again, we'll we'll get into the full predictions of the whole Big Ten, and and obviously focused on Michigan State. Uh, but I want to give you three underrated teams to watch this year in the Big Ten, um, and and just a couple cliff notes here. Number one's Indiana. They're they're becoming darling. I kind of feel bad putting them in this underrated category, but look, it's Indiana, and we haven't seen like a an Indiana team with preseason hype in a long, long time. Uh, Michael Penix, the quarterback, He, when he's healthy, that's a big key, he's great. He's a dual-threat guy. He's got a hell of an arm. He completed like 20 straight passes against us uh, last year, even though we did win that game. Stevie Scott, the running back, a guy I've loved since he came in as a freshman. Wop failure. I mean, they got a really great offense, and they're returning a lot of their defensive starters. Tom Allen, the head coach, I really like. I think Indiana's going to be uh, a team that really ends up putting it all together this year because in the last couple of years really we've seen them kind of turn that corner and, and start winning those games that they should win you know they're they're beating Rutgers consistently they're beating Maryland consistently they're beating Purdue Northwestern they're, they're winning these games um, but they just can't quite get the job done against the big boys and they've been close so many times it's one of those where it's noon and you're checking in and, and uh, you know, Indiana's up 17 to 10 against Michigan in the third quarter. They're up, you know, 24-21 against Ohio State early in the third quarter. You know, they, they just can't finish the job against these teams. And I think this year they get one of those games, whether it's Michigan, whether it's Penn State, whether it's uh, probably not Ohio State, but... Um, I just—they've been so close on finishing the job on one of these upsets. It's bound to happen, and this has to be the year. They have so many returning starters. You know, this is—this was the this I—the whole COVID thing. It sucks for everybody, right? But man, I it hurt for Tom Allen, and and I'm hoping for their sake. You know, for Michigan State's sake, it would suck, but. Um, I, I really do hope for their sake that all these guys decide to come back, you know, without losing that year of eligibility, because they they could have a really great team next year if they decide to do that. Northwestern, they sucked last year. Let's just be honest. Um, they had that that transfer quarterback from Clemson that I talked about on uh if if any if I got any carryover listeners here from the downtown Spartans podcast. Um, they had a transfer five star kid from Clemson um hunter or something i I don't even remember his name now, lots of hype. you know we we're thinking, man if Pat, Pat Fitzgerald he's got the defense, we know that if he can get one of these high flying offenses, man, it could be special. um, we saw Clayton Thorson the last few years he's he's been a productive, productive big ten quarterback. Justin Jackson was a good running back there, but we just haven't really seen that explosive northwestern offense. Maybe this guy can, can start making some real plays and it just didn't happen. He turned the ball over a ton. They, they ran through quarterbacks like crazy, but they got Peyton Ramsey coming in from Indiana and he's a guy who started a lot of games in the big 10. He's orchestrated a lot of wins and maybe he can just shore up that quarterback spot to make less mistakes, you know, turn the ball over a little bit less and allow his playmakers to to play because they have their running backs are coming back. They had a couple injuries last year. Isaiah Bowser was hurt. Um, so, so he'll be back healthy. They actually have a really good offensive line Rashawn Slater is like a first round draft pick type at left tackle. Um, and, and we know the defense is going to be good under Pat Fitzgerald. They have the best linebacking core in the big 10, Patty Fisher. And, uh, his running mate that I'm blanking off the top of my head, but those two have been all big 10 guys for the last like three years in a row. I don't expect that to change anytime soon. So um, we know the defense is going to be good. Can Peyton Ramsey come in and sure up this offense and get them a few wins. I think Northwestern is going to be a team we're looking at this year. Um, and I know coach Mack is with me on that one. Purdue is the other one. Uh, you know, they were kind of a sexy pick for a little while, but they seem to have uh, fallen out of favor with the media folks. And this one's pretty simple, man. They got a lot of guys coming back from injury. Uh, Rondale Moore, he said he's playing, so he's a first-round receiver. I mean, th- this is a no-brainer first-round wide receiver in the NFL. Dude's a stud, electric playmaker. He was the Big Ten wide receiver of the year as a true freshman. Went for like f- freaking 1,300 yards, man. The dude's a player. And he's got David Bell on the other side. He, he was a 1,000-yard receiver, so they have truly probably the big best receiver duo in the big 10. You got a decent quarterback there. He's going to need to make the the next step, but Lorenzo a defensive tackle. He was hurt all last year. He's going to be coming back. He's an NFL type guy. Um, so Purdue's a team that again, I'm not going to go out here and say they're going to win the big 10 West, but when you're looking at those games against Wisconsin, against Iowa, uh, you're gonna look at Purdue as being a team. You don't want to. You don't want to not show up for that one. You, you want to make sure that your guys are ready uh, because they can put up some points on you with those wide receivers. And, and I love Jeff Brom, the head coach, and he's gonna have his guys ready every single week. So, so Purdue's a team that you're not gonna want to face uh unprepared so i I just wanted to kind of throw out three of those kind of underrated big 10 teams since we were talking about underrated storylines to finish it off here so that's going to be that's going to do it here for the thursday edition of the standing room spartans podcast if you haven't already done it I, i really do appreciate any apple podcast reviews it does help me out quite a bit getting my name out there um, anything that you can do to help support, follow me on Twitter, standing room MSU, follow me on Instagram at standing room Spartans, um, follow Scott on Twitter at Spartan Martin 18. He's, he's been with us a lot. He will continue to be with us a lot. Uh, make sure that. You uh, subscribe if you haven't already and continue telling your friends. Uh, the, the listening, the, the audience has just been slowly climbing and climbing and climbing ever since we started. We're, we're on a linear path to greatness here. So I, I really do appreciate all the support. Um, and I, I hope that we're going to continue giving you the content that, that I think we deserve as MSU sports fans, as MSU football fans. Um, and, and the season, man, we are right around the corner. We posted here today. On Twitter, again, at Standing Room MSU, we're Aaron Burbridge days away from MSU football, 16 days away from MSU football. Uh, It's just crazy to think about that. So we're, we're right around the corner from seeing what Mel Tucker and this new staff have in store for us, and I can't wait. So have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you Monday. Take care.